This is Toby Haydoke's Who's Round. Well, either that or it's all just a figment of our imaginations. Well, this is my second interview of the day, and uh, I've come across London to interview my second John of the day, uh, another actor to have crossed paths with our favourite Time Lord, so I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, Doctor Who, I was in Doctor Who. I, I, my name is John Atterbury, and I was in Doctor Who in 1968 for three episodes. I, I think there must have been a, a gap, because I did two and then the, that particular storyline came to an end and then whether it was concurrent I cannot remember but it was um, I think um, the Time Lord was the third one what was that supposed to well, what I get you probably yeah. What know. happened was you were a white robot in the land of fiction in the Mind Robber. The Mind Robber, yeah, that's right. Which yes. was directed by David Maloney, yes. who must have been impressed with you behind a robot suit because then he brought you back a few months later, as he was wont to do with actors that he liked, and took your robot costume off, and you were an alien guard in the War Games. That's it. That's so, it. so uh, yes, you had You've it. You done had... your homework. <laughs> Oh, it's in my DNA. Ah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so you started yes. started off play, encased in rubber and yes, fibreglass yes. and all sorts of other Actually, it wasn't uncomfortable because I think those action masks were only sort of cardboardy and they were made for something else and they sort of were trying to save money and they used they them. They were. Yes. They were made for a programme called Out of the Unknown uh, yes. and, and brought out of a cupboard so as not to have to make new costumes. Well, exactly. Very good. Very uh, parsimonious they were at that time. <laughs> Things have changed. Uh, but um, a bit later on, after these three, I, um, I was called in for a new series and I saw the two young scriptwriters and I read a part and I think I must have been... I was, well, I was a very stupid young actor and they said, well, what, what do you think? And I said, well, it's not Shakespeare. Well, of course, I didn't get the job. Quite right, too. What a stupid thing to say. But I rather regretted because I could have been, you know, going on and on and on doing Doctor Who. Because I did like David Maloney. Yeah. He was lovely. So what had got you uh, to that point, John? What what, what was your background and what made you become an actor? I'm a Welshman and I was... I left school at 16, my father was a bank manager, and when I got to 16, he said, you don't want to go to university, do you? And I was a very vague child, and I said, no. Um, what about Lloyds Bank? So I said, yeah, okay. And I went into Lloyds Bank, I did two years in Commercial Street, Newport, and then I was 18, and I had to go and serve Her Majesty doing national service, which I did in the RAF in Gibraltar for 18 months. And it really changed my life because I could see that there was another world outside Lloyds Bank and Newport Grant. And it was quite amazing. And 
we, as a, a gang of fellas, we started this radio station and they wanted different regional accents. I had a Welsh accent at this point, not a very strong one, but I did have a Welsh accent. And I was doing disc jockeying. Uh, I had my own programme. The spotlight on whatever changed and I used to select my own music. And Anyway, uh, we had visitors from various people making films on Gibraltar, one of which was Jeremy Spencer. Long forgotten, really, but you might know him. Yes, yes, and his, his child, child, child actor. His brother was actually in a Doctor Who with Patrick Trout and David Spencer. Yes, he was, that's right. Anyway, Jeremy Spencer heard about our radio station and said he'd like to see it. I mean, this young lad, he was very nice. And he came along, and we were all there, and he said, oh, this is terrific. He said, we, you know, egg packing on the wall, soundproofing it, we had a proper microphone and everything. And I did a mural on the back wall, it was lovely. And uh, he said, oh, well, I, why don't I do a play for you? What can we do? Uh, and we said, well, the drama company have just won the cup for the Browning version, which I was in, playing Tablo, the schoolboy. Yeah. And the man from the BBC had singled me out for special praise. Cecil Bellamy, I always remember his name. He came out to adjudicate it. It was an inter-service drama group. And a uh, festival. And uh, it all went to my head, of course. I thought we'd probably be after. So Jeremy Spencer said, when we were rehearsing this play, he decided he would play the lead, Crocker Harris, yeah. this decayed old schoolmaster. Totally wrong for him. But anyway, he did it. And while we were rehearsing, he said, hey, you're ever so good. He said, you can be an actor when you leave here. And I said, oh, no, no. I'm going back to Lloyd's Bank. But it was a seed planted. I did go back to Lloyds Bank. I wasn't happy. I was posted to Newnham on Seven. Do you know Newnham on Seven? I don't. It's a very, very small, large village. Beautiful. With one bank, Lloyds. It was a staff of four, I think, or five maybe. I was number three, I think, uh, by this time. There was a junior which is that boy there, and um, anyway, I was trying to learn my banking exams, and oh dear, I was thinking, oh dear, I'd much rather be an actor <laughs> than a bank clerk, so I went home for the weekend, my father by this time was still working as a bank manager, and I said, I'm going to leave Lloyd's Bank and be an actor. Oh, horror! <laughs> uh, well, don't expect me to support you. I said, I wouldn't dream of asking you for a penny. I don't think I did, actually, ask him for anything. But uh, it took a long time, of course, to, to come to that final severance. Mm. And I had to go up to London to explain myself to Lloyd's Bank in Lombard Street because they couldn't understand anybody giving up a wonderful career in Lloyd's Bank. I was on a special management stream. But no, I was determined I was going to be an actor. And I auditioned for RADA, Central, and I was going to audition for Rose Brew. But Central, I auditioned in the morning. I was going to Rose Brew in the afternoon. Well, in the morning at Central, they told me they would accept me. So I rang Rose Brewford and said I wouldn't be coming to the audition. And I went to Central. But I paid for myself, 
for the first term. Yeah. With the money I got from Lloyds Bank, of course. Of course. Well, after the first term, I didn't have any more money. No. So I had to leave. So there I was in London. I was determined I wasn't going to go home and give up. Um, and I thought, everybody else is getting maintenance grants. This was in the time of maintenance grants. I wrote to my MP, who was Leo Absey, very pro-arts, and his brother's a poet, still going strong. No, he's just died. Danny Absey. And uh, uh, he engineered a grant for me for two more terms, but any further grants were dependent on my report. Anyway, I did two more terms. At the end of it, my report was rubbish, so I didn't get any more grant. So I was out of work, out of uh, drama school. So I said to my father, right, well, I, I'm going to give up being an actor. I'm going back to finance. So I got myself a job, a very good job, with Hanover Finance Company in Hanover Square. And I had a month to wait before I started the job. And I said to my father, will you give me an overdraft for a month? Long silence. Um, what are you offering as security? And I said, well, I've got that life policy. Right, we'll take that. And he did. He took the, the policy and gave me a 2,000 overdraft. No, it wasn't as much as that. Something like 500. Anyway. I was able to live for a month. But in that month, I was reading the stage. And one week, there was an advert for Theatre for Youth, based in Birkenhead, at the Argyle Theatre, Birkenhead. But they were seeing people in London. And I wrote, or rang up, got an audition. And they said, oh, yes, can you drive? And I said, yes, I can drive. Well, I was in, because they wanted somebody who could drive the van and take the company <laughs> round the... It was Scotland, I got the job. We were going round the schemes in Scotland. Do you know Scotland? I, do, I, I, the, I mean, the schemes are really rather horrible. Mm. They're the council, what we call council housing. It's the scheme in uh, Scotland. Um, but it was an eye-opener, it really was. And actually I quite enjoyed it. We were doing Rumpelstiltskin to... Well, they were supposed to be late primary, but in Scotland the ages are different, so they seem very old. The girls had beehive hairdos and umbrellas and things. And, oh my God, they're going to scream, they're going to laugh us off the stage, and this is for children, you know, really, small children. But no, they loved it. It was great. It went very well. I'm curious, though, because you've obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're still an actor, so you can't have been... And you've done some great work, so you can't have been rubbish. So what went wrong at Central? What went wrong at the drama school? Well, I went in under the new regime, John Blatchley and um, Yat Malmgren and Harold Lang. I'd have been much happier under the old-fashioned Gwyneth Thurband regime, I think. So it's just bad timing. It was probably bad timing. I was just, I was very, you know, very... Conservative, straight down the line, and not really ideally suited to be an extrovert actor. Mm -hmm. That came later, I suppose. Not that I'm an extrovert now, I don't think, but um, I enjoy being on stage. So you going off? You you you've done Rumpelstiltskin in in Scotland then, and so 
what sort of t- what, what 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 sort of period are we in now? This is nineteen sixty one, which lasted till Christmas time. Then I did another. I came home because I went back to Pontypool for Christmas, and they they asked me if I would do another tour down south this time, and I said yes, I would. So I did a. I think it was the Pied Piper of Hamlin this time. We went round for another couple of months. And while we were in near Swansea, I went and auditioned for the rep at Swansea. And I got that. It was actually my home where I'd been born, but I wasn't living there. And I went and did the weekly rep at um, Swansea as actor, stage manager. I missed ASM, stage manager. And that, again, was an eye-opener. 49-week season, and I... No, no, 39-week season, beg your pardon. And I played 34 weeks. I had five weeks when I wasn't playing. They were miserable weeks. <laughs> but when I was playing, I was fine. And uh, my job was to also do the furniture, of course, get the furniture every week. That was murder, because all the previous stage managers had buggered up all the contacts by returning broken things and... Michael Heseltine's mother had a shop in Swansea selling lamps. And I used to go to her and say, Oh, please, Mrs. Heseltine, we need a lamp, a nice lamp for next week. No, I'm not lending you anything. The last one I lent you came back broken. But if she wasn't there, she had an assistant called Joyce Galley, who became a casting director. And Joyce was a bit more sympathetic and said, well, there is one damaged lamp at the back. i let you have that. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that idea of, um, you know, beg borrowing and stealing. And, yes. and obviously, I'm sure the parts that you were playing were, you know, very eclectic. Well, very mixed. I mean, my best part there was the gentleman caller in Glass Menagerie. And that was the festival. They, they started a Swansea festival and John Chilvers was running it. He got a grant from the council for the two weeks of the festival. So he was able to put on something a bit more adventurous. Glass Menagerie was one. And um, I've forgotten what, what it's called, the, the other play. But it, it was a huge cast. And it was about... Oh, The Line in Winter. Oh, yeah. Big cast. And endless scenes. Medieval. Um, and I had to get the, this medieval furniture. My heart sank on the Monday morning. God's sake, where am I going to get all this stuff? But somebody said, well, the local school has shut down their dining hall and they've got this splendid long pine table. See if you can borrow that. So I borrowed this table. Huge, long table, filled the whole stage. Perfect for this medieval feast. We did with it in the wings, I can't remember, but it didn't stay on the whole time. So, but anyway, I was I played, as well as managing the stage, managing it, I played six parts in that, you know, into one costume, out of it, into another one. Very exhausting. Is that where the listener is at a disadvantage here, because we're sitting in an absolutely gloriously decorated flat with all sorts of beautiful furniture, so... It, is that is that a hangover from your stage management days? Well, that your it eye because could you've got be, a... yes, it could be. You see, I mean, I must say, I was very proud of some of the sets I did, and especially later on when I got to do summer rep. I mean, 
That was one of my joys, organising the, the sets. I directed one show there, and I moaned so much about the stage management. The, the man who ran the theatre, Ronnie Gobi, said, Oh, well, if you don't like it, do it yourself. You know, dress the sets yourself. So I said, I will. <laughs> so I did, every week for the rest of the season. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, you're, you're, it, the internet's obviously not complete with um, credits and things, but it seems Doctor Who was a rare sabbatical at this time into television for you. So, yes, so do you was. know how that came about? I can't. No, I can't. I think I might have been sent by my agent, who is still the same one. You've got the same agent after... Yes. 50 Mike, years. 50 yeah. years. I did leave once and went to a posh agent who got me one job. So I went back to Vincent Shaw. Really? Yeah. Because I actually, I don't know if I've still got it on my phone, I found a photo of you in Spotlight from about 1969 or something. But I didn't take a note of the agent because I didn't assume it would still be the same one. Well, it is. Yeah. So have you ever... Because you're, you're, you're sort of... The break between your telly work was quite was quite big. Was that just because you were so busy in the theatre? Yes, probably, yeah. Did you, did you ever cover... Did, did you have a preference? Did you mind not... Because your screen career sort of blossomed latterly. Well, yes. I mean, that was because my secondary occupation is gardening, you see. And I was gardening for the stars, well, I was gardening for Mary Selwyn. Ah. And, um... Famous casting first, director. First of all, Alan Fernando. Although he never, ever used me, Alan Fernando. I still in touch with Alan, but um, Mary was very good, and I did um, Scarlet for her, mm. and then she sent me up for Gosford Park, and such a nice man, um, Robert Altman. Yeah, lovely, really lovely, and I I don't think I was the original casting for that part. Really, it was somebody who couldn't get out of his contract with the RSC, and he fell back on me. Thank goodness. Because I, I remember being so pleased, because obviously I remember Doctor Who actors' names and things like that. And, you know, amongst, you know, all the most famous actors in the world, you've got a man who was a white robot in Doctor yeah, Who in yeah. 1968, you know, with a proper part yes. in a major fantastic That's film. the best thing I've ever done, really. But come to attention. I mean, not the best thing I've done on stage. Because two years ago I went out to Bermuda to do Long Day's Journey Into Night which was terrific, except that we only did two performances. How come? Well, it was, we were supposed to do three. It was the Bermuda Drama Festival, uh, Bermuda Festival of Performing Arts, and we were scheduled to do three performances, a very big theatre, and honestly, it wasn't really Bermuda's cup of tea. Too serious. The reason it was done was Eugene O'Neill started the play on Bermuda. He used to go there every summer. So that was the connection, really. <clears throat> but they would have been much happier with something like, um, you know, a farce. Or mm -hmm. they'd, that would have been suited them down to the ground. Anyway, it was a nice opportunity for me. So you've seen quite a lot of the world. Thanks I've been very lucky travelling. Yes, I have. And I've done two stints in Japan with the Royal Opera. I had a very, very small part in Magic Flute. But it took me around the world, really. I was a good slave, German-speaking, and um, all learned phonetically, of course. But uh, it was lovely. We went to Los Angeles in 84 
for the pre-Olympic fest and to Japan twice. No, the second time I didn't go with, with a speaking part. I was just walking on. But the first time it was lovely. You know, the first time the opera had gone to Japan, we were fated everywhere. It was lovely. Absolutely lovely. Have you been to Japan? I haven't been to Japan. Oh, it's fascinating. Really, I really loved it. Tokyo is probably the ugliest city I've ever seen, but God, the energy. You know, it's palpable. It really is. And I like the the bit around the Emperor's Palace. That's lovely. But the rest of it is very sort of commercial. And, you, know. you wouldn't have seen it if you'd been with Lloyd's still, though. Absolutely <laughs> right, yes. Well, of course, I mean, stage-wise, um, horrible to bring it back to Doctor Who, but uh, uh, um, a, a, a still a, a brilliant play, aside from the Doctor Who connection, is the first produ uh, that production of uh, Bent with Ian McKellen and Christopher Eccleston, yes. and Eccleston then playing a couple yes. of quite small parts, That's right. and later became Doctor Who. Yes. So what do you remember of that production? Because that was you, Ian um, McKellen, Michael Cashman? Yes, that was... Um, I had a very tiny part. I was guard... What else? I you were a prisoner, at, prisoner um, yeah, a prisoner yeah. at the concentration camp. Yes, yeah. looking like death. You know, we all had our heads shaved. And, uh, but Sean Mathias directed it. That's right, yeah. And uh, he, he liked my approach to it. But I, I understudied um, Robert, Robert Edison. And Robert Edison didn't want to go into the West, because we transferred to the West End, didn't want to go into the West End playing a gay role. So he wouldn't do it. And he was a very elderly man anyway, and I think he was getting towards the end of his... Oh, was he playing the sort of uncle character? Yes, uncle, yeah. Yes. And Robert Fleming took it over. But Robert Fleming wasn't awfully well. He'd had some sort of accident, and he couldn't walk very well. But he was a lovely man, and he was really valiant, because we had keep fit circuit training every single day. I mean, we were all... A Skinny as anything, of course, to be, you know, prisoners. Sure. And he took part in that. As much as he could do, he did it. Lovely man. Anyway, I was a bit pissed off that I wasn't going into the West End, you know, having played the part, mm. uh, covered the part. But I was too young, of course. I was the same age as Ian McKellen, so mm. it would have been silly. But isn't it curious? We were talking only about 1989-1990, and it was a breakthrough play in many respects in, in its um, portrayal of homosexuality during Indeed. the war and yet you've got an actor in the company saying I don't want to play a gay man in the West End yes uh, it was still well at least I think that was the reason I mean he was very establishment was Robert Edison yeah. I don't think it reflected well on his um, CV he was in Bent extraordinary and this is this in 1990 yeah. yes it's extraordinary but he was very old at this sure. point sure sure and did, did did Eccleston have anything about him that marked him out for the future career that he was going to have? Yes. Yeah? Very determined. Very determined. Very nice. I liked him. In fact, I bumped into him once or twice because he was living in Hampstead at that time. And I remember doing a garden in Hampstead and he passed by. We had a long chat. <laughs> well, he's done okay. And he was going to be doing... Well, he hadn't started Doctor Who, but he was going to do something. I don't know what. But he only did... Did he do two sessions? Just one well, year. Won. Just one year. Well, yes, I would imagine he wouldn't be the easiest if he was, you know, not happy. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that was rather apparent. So, so that was a, that was a good good theatre job. That you and you understudied a show, didn't you, with um, that Gilgood was in as well. Um, I did. Yes. What was that? Uh, uh, Best you, of Friends. Yeah, understudying Ray McAnally. Yes. Yeah. So, I, had, I had to. I'm going to blow my own trumpet now. Um, I had to work with John Gilgood uh, for two days, three days. And James Bruce Evans directed. He said, "You, I know you know it, but you must hold the book. We can't have Sir John, you know, because it's something he was rather reluctant to do. This because he was eighty-eight by this time. Really? Know? Yes, it was really a major thing for him. He hadn't done a stage play for quite a while, and it was quite arduous. I mean, he wasn't a young man. No. Anyway, and he was sitting at his desk." His understudy, Robert Walker, uh, had to sit in the wings. There was a little window by the side of his desk. And Robert had to sit there for the whole of the performance. I thought, thank God I'm not understudy, Mr John. But um, <coughs> he didn't ever really need him, I must say. He was pretty good. He had the script on the desk anyway. And it was largely sedentary. He only got up a couple of times. But it was a lovely show. It really was. And it's always the actor's dilemma. I mean, what's what's the dilemma with the understudy? Is it um, do you go? Well, I I want to go on because then I can prove myself. Or do you go? I don't want to go on because the on. audience don't want to I see never, me. Never. I understudied a couple of times, and I never wanted to go on. Did you ever have to? No, nope, never. I've never been on. No. Actually, I was rung up at the beginning of the year. David Ryle did. Um, yes. Aaliyah, and poor man, he just had chemotherapy and. Um, he really wasn't up to it. He shouldn't have done it. He just shouldn't have done it, really. His daughter was in it playing Cordelia, and the director rang me up. He'd seen me doing something at the King's Head, thought I was the right age, and said, "Would David wasn't very well. Would I cover him? And I thought about it. I thought, oh, I really can't learn all that, you know, to cover a sort of off-West off End show. I really can't. And there was probably not very much money. Uh, so I said, no, sorry, I can't. Anyway, he rang me a week later and said, if I guarantee you three performances, will you do it? And I said, well, by that time I'd got another job, so I couldn't do it. But I really... It's a lot of study oh. here, isn't it? Oh. And not, I think, a part you can go into cold either. I mean, it's... No, I really... And anyway, I couldn't face it, I really couldn't. I mean... So I suppose it was rather nice that he thought I could do it, but anyway, I didn't do it. And I went to see, but I went to see it, and it—I mean, he knew the first act, and he was—he was good. He was right for the part, but he didn't know the the rest of it, and he had to hold the book. And no, it was a mistake. He—he he died very shortly afterwards. Yes, yes. I saw him and Callum do it at the um, London New London Theatre. Very good it was. But the best performance was Bill Gaunt, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, Lovely I, I know Bill, so I actually dropped him a card. I said, I thought you were fantastic. I think he played Gloucester, which is, of course, probably the best part. Yes. Although, I mean, Leo is a wonderful part, but it's a bit thankless, isn't it? All those lines. <laughs> you, you, well. And the audience is against you, really, because you're so stupid. Because you start off being an idiot. Yes. yes. And you have to then work very hard for them to feel yeah. sorry for you when you and die. And it's only later on, really, that it begins to dawn that maybe the poor old man has got Alzheimer's, you know, mm. 
sorry, starting Alzheimer's. He's certainly not rational. No, no. So, well, Sam Beasley, and he, he did the thing where he started as an actor, didn't he? And then he worked in industry and then became an actor again after he'd retired, which some would say is the more sensible way of doing it. <laughs> yes, he was an antique dealer. Yeah. And his house reflects it. It's beautiful, quite beautiful. But he's, he's, I mean, he wants to last to be 100 now. That's his sole aim in life. And he'll make it, I'm sure he will. He's really a lovely chap. He's got all his marbles, thank God. You know. But he's terribly deaf. Right. And that is such a handicap, you know. Yeah. And he's, but once you get him going, on his stories are lovely. Because he worked with Edith Evans. when she, she did, He did Romeo and Juliet with John Gielgud. He direct, John Gielgud directed. And John Gielgud was nasty to him. He'd been previously very nice to him when he did the play of Queen in Hamlet. This is 1936 or 37 or something. <laughs> and um, Sam didn't really want to be an actor. It was his mother's idea. <laughs> anyway, he did, and he was quite successful. And he was in this John Gielgud's company in the West End doing Shakespeare's. And anyway, John, he, was play he played Paris. And John didn't like his performance as Paris. But he didn't like anybody, young actors. He was very jealous, I think, John Gilgood of young actors. And he was nasty to like Guinness as well, apparently. He said, oh, oh, go away and learn to act. Go and see Martita. She'll give you some lessons. Martita. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not to Sam. This was to um, Alec. Alec, yeah, who certainly didn't need any acting no, lessons from right. anybody. <laughs> but perhaps he wasn't so good when he was a young man. He grew into it. Maybe. You see Maybe. Um, and what about um, you did uh, with Alan Alder in uh, Our, Our, Town. Our Town? Yes. And John good. Normington, who's uh, done yes. fine service for Doctor Who and a lovely, oh, yes. lovely Thank stage you. actor. Yes. Very uh, nice. My friend John Rogan was in that. Yes. Well, he had this terrible accident ten years ago, and he's in a wheelchair. Oh. But he's still working. Uh, he's indomitable, John. I mean, he used to be the actor I admired most because he never stopped working. Great networker, knows everybody. And he had this horrendous accident. He fell down the escalator at Hoban, the longest escalator in London, woke up in the Middlesex Hospital, paralysed. Oh. And he's still paralysed. But he survived and he occasionally still works. He was at the National, just finished, in Rules for Living. Playing a part in a wheelchair of a man who just had a stroke and could barely speak. I mean, John could speak perfectly well. But, um, no, it, it was a wonderful, lovely performance. Yeah. And he, he was got out to Sweden for, is it Sweden? For one of the Wallanders. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he was very friendly with Kenneth Branagh. Why he worked with Ronnie Barmont. Yes. Oh, on stage? Were yeah. you in the stage of Arnold with Brenner? Tiny bit. And how, how was he? Because that was... Oh, he's lovely. Yeah? What a nice man. Came to the dressing room every single night before the show. Every dressing room had a little chat before the show. Really nice. And do you think he's got the, the, the talent that he's renowned for? Yes. Yeah? Yes, I do. Lovely. And, of course, he's doing this major season now at the Garrick. Mm. Why aren't I in it? I ask myself. <laughs> you haven't been networking, John. No, That's what it is. So, who have been the actors? Then we mentioned, obviously, then ta talent with Branagh. Who are the actors that, when you've worked with them, have been in their company that you've just gone? 
Because I think actors respond well to good actors, don't they? So who have been the actors that have made you respond best, do you think? I don't know. I mean, years ago, I did several seasons of Donna Sidmouth. And one actor appeared for one, one couple of weeks or so, Michael Benz. And suddenly Michael Benz has serviced again. But I thought then, this is an actor who will... Because he wasn't your conventional... He was a, he was a, although he was a young man, he was a solid young man, you know, not slim or anything, but solid. And I thought, yeah, it'd be very, very useful. And he was good. And indeed, he, he's lasted the course. He's still going. Which I think is always the achievement, actually. And you may, So when did the gardening start? Because we, we've alluded to the fact that oh, yeah, no, none of us see. always work. So, um, so you've always filled it in with, with gardening in yeah. the fallow periods. And, of course, I try to keep the gardens going when I'm working on stage, yeah, if possible. Uh, it all happened when I was at Bromley. This is going back to the 60s. And an actress called Barbara Ogilvy, alas, now no longer with us, uh, she said to me, Oh, darling, she said, I'm starting a little gardening business, but I really can't lift the bags of soil. You wouldn't come and give me a hand occasionally, would you? And I said, Yes, certainly, Bar. I will. So I'll pay you. So, of course, I went... I used to help her lift the bags of soil and give her a hand with the gardens. And she eventually was doing a garden in Earl's Court, and she, her next-door neighbour. And she moved away, so the next-door neighbour said to me, you wouldn't come and do my garden instead of bar, would you? And I said, yes, OK. So I did that garden for 30-something years, ah. until the woman died in 94. And, you know, one thing led to another. I had a few more gardens, Alan Fernanda, Mary Selway. And well, I think if you're doing the gardening of the top casting director in the country, as I think Mary Selway was for a bit, wasn't she? She was, so yes. Patsy Pollock, another one, who was a friend, actually. Uh so, looking back then, that decision to uh, turn you back on Lloyd's, uh, would, you have ch would you have changed it? Yeah, of course not. I might have had a better pension. Well, but that's looking, about all. Looking at some of this furniture, I don't know. I don't know. Well, so. it's, you see, most of it's been left to me, or come from family, or whatever. My first flat in Westbourne Terrace, rented, I furnished for seven and six, and that was the seven and six, the stand, that stand there. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, listeners, that you can't see it because. Um, we're sitting amongst some absolutely delightful stuff, but the stories have been delightful as well. I, I, I'm always apologetic, John, when I speak to an actor of, you know, who's had such a, a long and distinguished career and done all sorts of things that we hang it on the hook of Doctor Who. Can you, yes. underst can you understand the appeal of the show? Oh, yes, of course I can, yes. It's fantasy time, isn't it? You know, we all like a bit of fantasy. But it all works, you know, everything has, is logical as well. I haven't seen mine very recently, but I used to occasionally. Yeah, well, it's still it's still going strong, and I think there's always a bit of immortality for everybody that's crossed paths, however briefly. Yes, with the doctor. yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, well, you've kind of given me your time as well as your hospitality. Um, so, um, as scant recompense, personally for you, but we ask the listener to donate to a charity of your choice. So, what's your charity, please, John? The Church Army. And. Um, this podcast was conceived originally to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who. Um, so what is your message to the listening Doctor Who fans? 
listening. Well, John Asabri, thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you. That was great. I hope that was okay for you. Yes. Oh, goodness me, we did. Yeah. That was fantastic. Um, but it's amazing how many common... Uh, my thanks to John, whose charity is the Church Army, which is uh, www.churcharmy, all one word, .org, churcharmy.org. Uh, there'll be another of these at the same time next week, a uh, week which finds me performing uh, in a JB Shorts, a series of short plays uh, in the centre of Manchester, 53-2, between the 1st and the 12th of November. So if you would like to come along to those, uh, there, are, there are people from actual Doctor Who uh, in, in some of them. Mine's written by James Quinn, who is in Flatline, and Judy Holt, who's Adam's mum in The Long Game, is in another one. Uh, so uh, do pop along to see those if you're in the vicinity of Manchester between the 1st and 12th of November. If not, I'll be burrowing into your ear uh, via the internet at the same time next week. Till then, ta-ta. soon from Big Finish Productions. Ah, good day, gentlemen. Ah, Doctor, we've been expecting you. Doctor Who, absolute power. Come on! Come on! Doctor, what, what's this that's just lit up? Ah, no, 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 no. What you're doing, old girl? The threat is within. Enough, Doctor. Leave this place or I shall destroy you. We need to get out of here. Where is Constance? What have you done with her? I'm afraid that poor Constance is about to be involved in a tragic accident. Uh, uh, oh, they won't budge. Uh, this is all looking rather bleak. Hold tight. Good luck, Emma. Thank you. Big Finish. We love stories.